in the first epistle to the Corinthians. Brethren, you know that when you were heathen, you were led astray to dumb idols, however you may have been moved. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking by the Spirit of God ever says, Jesus, be cursed, and no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit, and there are varieties of service, but the same Lord, and there are varieties of working, but it is the same God who inspires them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. To one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit. To another gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another the working of miracles. To another prophecy. To another the ability to distinguish between tongues, between spirits. To another various kinds of tongues. To another the interpretation of tongues. All these are inspired by one and the same Spirit, who apportions each individually as he wills. The Holy Gospel of St. Luke, chapter 18. At that time, Jesus told his parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up into the temple to pray one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. Praise to you, O Christ. Please be seated. So we celebrate this 10th Sunday after Pentecost. We are entering into the month of August which means that the Feast of the Transfiguration draws nigh. Uh, it is this Friday, August the 6th. So we'll have the Novus Ordo Mass at 6 a.m. as normal on Friday. And our uh, Latin Mass will be here at 5, uh, sorry, at 4.30 uh, this Friday. So normally they're at 5.30, it's at 4.30 this week. So if you show up at 5.30, you might get a blessing and, and a dismissal. So uh, be sure to note, to note that time for yourselves. The St. Agnes Knights of Columbus will be selling football board squares after all masses next weekend, August the 7th and the 8th. Proceeds to benefit our parish security fund. And our Adoration Chapel has an urgent need. We are in need of committed or adorers for the 11 a.m. and sorry, the 10 a.m. and 11 a.m. hours on Monday. So two hours consecutively on Monday mornings. We ask you to please to prayerfully consider if you or you together with a group of friends could possibly adopt one of these weekly hours. This Holy Mass is being offered for Cameron Grigsby. In the Gospel we heard, our blessed Lord sets apart two individuals. The one who comes in and says to himself his prayer, and the other one who speaks it to the Lord. The one who says it to himself makes note of his justifications of why he is such a good man. Namely, 
I'm not that guy. A strange and striking condemnation that he makes, and yet such as it is. But one of the things that he indicates that he does as a sort of showing forth his own holiness, showing forth his righteousness before the Lord, is he points to the fact that I fast twice a week. I fast twice a week. Our blessed Lord doesn't condemn the man because of his fasting. He doesn't condemn him because of this fact. Rather, he condemns him because he fasts merely for the sake of fasting. To be able to check the box. Essentially, to be able to check the box that says, I am holier. I've done the right things. He does it for the mere fact of having done it. Clearly emphasizing this by the fact that when he comes to the temple, he doesn't pray to the Lord. He prays to himself. He's focused upon his own things. The fact is that fasting is not something that ought to be sloughed off, rather. Our Lord is not saying this in the least. Rather, the fasting that the Lord invites us to is to be able to convert our hearts and to make us to become more and more like the humble man who repents for his sins. The fasting that the Lord would like to see from us converts our hearts and allows us to become more and more perfectly his own image. In the life of the church, the gift of fasting is often not emphasized very greatly these days. Even the requirements for us for fasting are minimal at best. Only two days a year are we required to, to have a, a firm fast by the Mother Church. And those two fast days are you get one big meal and you get two small meals. Not much fasting required at all. Before there would be many days, many, many feast days, the entire Lenten season, one might, might go without meat entirely. A seemingly heroic feast. Fast, rather, not feast. To be able to fast was a sign of strength in the Lord, again, of a drawing close to Him. Certainly, we tie it together with penance, but it's not just penance by itself. It has, a, it has a, a, an aim. It has a goal. As we said, fasting for the sake of fasting is no grace at all. But fasting so as to conform ourselves to Christ, here there is an abundance of grace that awaits. Reflecting upon this fact of the fast, on account of uh, a book that I came across recently, and it had a, a rather provocative title in the face of so many things in the life of the church. And the title is To Love Fasting. To Love Fasting. It seems a strange thing. I mean, who loves going without food? Especially here in Louisiana, right? We love food. We don't love fasting, typically. So the title itself caught my eye, To Love Fasting. And it was a Benedictine monk reflecting upon this reality that the rule of St. Benedict indicates that, a particular, that, the, that the monk in particular ought to eat a single meal a day during the penitential seasons. It ought to be taken at the, uh, at the, at the ninth hour or in the evening time, so at 3 o'clock or at evening time, 5 or 6 o'clock. On feast days, you get two meals. St. Benedict never had breakfast on the menu. 
It was two meals for celebratory days, one meal for all the rest. And granted, these are monks. These are one called intentionally to live a more austere lifestyle, a more, uh, a more self-sacrificial lifestyle. But the monk was noting the fact that he said, I don't know a single monastery in the world that doesn't take three meals a day every day of the year. That's a problem. He pointed to this fact, and he said, it's not, it's not just us. It's not just us, the Benedictines, who at that time, it was some 30 years ago that he was writing the text, that at this time, it, was, it wasn't just us. It was the entire culture. It was, it was our church who lost the love of fasting. And it must be regained. It was this invitation for him to take up the rule of Benedict and to live it earnestly, not just selectively of a a sort of cafeteria Benedictine, but to live it in its fullness and to experience the challenge and the invitation that St. Benedict was calling him to. And so he proceeded to do so, and he was scandalized by the results. It made life gasp. Better, not worse. One might anticipate that adding a fast to every single day of the year would be such a a cause of great distress of soul that, that one would probably lose his mind. Without three square meals a day, who can live? But he found that his flesh, as well as his soul, came to life. He reflects first on why it is that he thinks the fast began to shrink away. He thinks sometimes that, and this was actually the, the technical reason that was offered for why fasting, why the, why the rule of Benedict in that particular place no longer applied. The official response from the, from the, official, the officials of the church was essentially, we're weak these days. That was the response. Why is it that we shouldn't fast? Oh, 1,500 years ago, they were stout. They were firm. They were hard of heart. They were, they were firm of soul. They were, they were uh, you know, an entirely different breed. Us, this, this you know, oh, we have to have three meals. We have to. We're too weak. Father Vogue, as he began to practice this, he recognized that the was hooey. It was a lie. It was foolishness. He said, certainly we can understand that we we can say that we are weaker these days, but it's false. He said, certainly in some cultures, it's it's a normal thing for us to understand. Maybe the social element has become more primary, right? What do we do whenever we get together? We eat. That's kind of the point of things. It brings people together at a common table to be able to sit down and be with one another in community. He said, this might seem a more reasonable understanding, that it's simply emphasizing the social dimension of things. But he says, this too, I think, is, is ultimately also false. He says, the reason that fasting has faded away is because we've lost understanding of what fasting is and what it does, and thus we have ceased to love it. We have forgotten that fasting converts us to Christ, and we see it only as a restriction upon ourselves and our stomachs. And if that's the only benefit, it's no benefit at all. And so it will be set aside. Ultimately, it points to a lack of love within our hearts, both for the fasting, and ultimately, interestingly, it points to a lack of love for the Lord. 
Because if our stomach becomes too full, our heart quickly becomes empty. He outlines the benefits that he himself experienced, and one can go and, and look and research all kinds of things for oneself. But he says, simply in his own experience, as well as in the life of the, the teaching of the church fathers, has continuously proved a variety of benefits for the individual of fasting. One, it helps control the passions. That if you can control the food that you eat and to be able to persist with the, the, the possibility of a bit of hunger pangs in one's stomach, then surely it gives you the strength and the fortitude to conquer the other vices that may arise within your hearts. It helps to conquer the passions. He says it actually gives him more energy. Who among us hasn't spent a nice Thanksgiving afternoon sleeping in our chairs or on the couch or in our bed because our stomach has been, our stomach has been filled and our, our, we've got to process it. We have to take, sit down and take a good long nap. And it's not resigned just to Thanksgiving. Any of us who continues to, to eat a, a nice full meal at lunchtime, likely about 1.30 or 2 o'clock, needs a cup of tea or a cup of coffee to be able to keep one's eyelids from closing. It's the fact of things. But to offer the fast, Father Vogue found, actually energized him in the afternoons. He began to lament, even, the time that he needed to go take food, because he knew he would have to slow down shortly. There was a great fervor that arose in his heart. We know that it certainly cleanses the body. It gives the digestive tract a rest. So these can be healthy things for us. But it said even more, it is time that may be saved for the individual. And not that we're just saving time for the sake of saving time, but time saved allows one to have more time for prayer, for reading of holy reading, for service to one's community, one's family, service to the Lord. An additional thing that one might be able to add is if you don't eat, you don't have to pay for not eating. It saves a bit of money here and there as well. But most of all, he says, of all of these things, it allows us to draw close to the life of Christ and the life of the church. By celebrating a fast at some point and to be able to integrate fasting into our life as a regular observance, it is to be able to allow our lives to be conformed to the year of the liturgy namely, to the life of Christ. To recognize that there are times where we ought to feast, and there are times where we ought to fast. There's a time of celebration, and there's a time of normalcy. The regulation of our food helps us to understand these things and to live them, so that the liturgy is not something that is just happening elsewhere. The liturgy is something that happens within oneself, the liturgy is continuing to be lived. Even if one is not able to attend Mass in a particular day, one still observes the, 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 the feast or the lack thereof for the day. We become mindful of exactly what is taking place through the year, and it converts our hearts. We learn to love Christ. We learn to love fasting because it leads us to Him. It inflames our hearts. It energizes not just the body but the soul. It fills us with love. It teaches us how to bear the cross, whether in small ways or in large. And ultimately, again, brings us back to the one place where we can be fed with that true bread that fills us to eternal life. 
to the extent that we embrace fasting, it's to the same extent that our love for the Lord will increase. Father Vogue, who's the author of the book To Love Fasting, adds a bit of a caveat. He says, I adjusted to the Benedictine rule. He went from the three meals a day to the one meal a day process over a four-year span. He didn't just pick it up on Tuesday morning and say, today's the day, here we go, because he knew he would have lost his mind. Always there must be uh, a bit of sensibility to things. One doesn't go from three meals to one meal quickly. One gradually proceeds there. Maybe they'll shrink back how much one might eat. If you have two eggs for breakfast, perhaps have one. Then eventually, after some six months or so, have none that day. Have just a nice glass of orange juice or something. To be able to do these things intentionally, prayerfully, will be sure to be that they establish within our lives a certain consistency. That they are not simply sporadic, based off of how we might feel in a particular day, whether we feel up to fasting or not, but rather to allow them to become regular things where they become something that is dear to us, something that we rejoice in. It is a tremendous fasting, a tremendous gift for us to be able to offer something of ourselves. Two weeks ago, I think it was, whenever it was announced of the motu proprio of our Holy Father uh, regarding the traditional Latin Mass, uh, my invitation was to you uh, to fast and to pray. And I would like to renew that invitation to continue to fast and to pray. We can, but fast reasonably, to fast sensibly on what it is that you are able to do without necessarily making things worse. I think all of us have experienced also the individual, or maybe it has been ourselves, who has given up coffee for Lent and becomes quite the bear to deal with. This is not the goal of fasting. Our goal is not to make life miserable for everyone else around us so we can be conformed more to Jesus. That's foolish. Our Lord calls us to a sensible fast to give something of ourselves. Even a small thing offered for love of Him conforms our heart to Him more perfectly and becomes powerful means of grace for the transformation of our hearts as well as those of others. So as we offer this Holy Mass, we come and we pray for the grace to love fasting, to teach us to love the Lord, to become humble of heart that he may exalt us.